that something was wrong with us as to we were in a situation that we could not get ourselves out of and something was broken or severed inside of us and that they knew that there was something that had to be done about it, but yet no matter everywhere else that we looked and the things that we tried to do and the things we tried to accomplish, yet we were still in the hole. That something was broken about us that for some reason that we knew something was wrong but yet, and we were compelled to do something about it, but yet in our own effort we failed. It's almost like that, like when, for a home, in your home, for example, if something is not right in your home, it's like when you go home, you feel like, you feel the warmth of home, and you love to be home. Who, who loves to be home? Raise your hand. Love to be home. If there's people there, that's awesome. If you're there by yourself, everybody loves to be home. And, and the place of, of home is a place of welcome. It's a place of feeling complete. I remember many years ago, and this was the mid-80s, so before the, really the dawning of the computer age, that my brother and I had went on this trip. We had taken this trip. We were gone from our home for a couple months. And I remember as we came back from, from our trip for a couple months of going to Virginia Beach, Virginia, and I remember as we, as we came back, and, you know, it was, it, it was hard to leave, but it was, it was one of those things we were coming home. And home felt right. Home felt complete. And I remember that we came in the door and we got dropped off. And my parents, my, my dad and my stepmother, they were, they were already there. And I remember I walked in the door. And the thing that I remember is my dad had a Commodore 64. Okay, so that was back in those days of computers. And he had printed this long banner on the, on the whole, the dot, the, uh, the ribbon paper. You know what I'm talking about with those printers? Some, it, it, this had to have taken just days to print on his Commodore 64. But I remember looking up and up the stairs and there was this big long banner and I just loved what it said. It said, Welcome home. And I remember coming in and if, for me, the reason why I was in Virginia Beach was, was not necessarily a pleasant one. And I remember when I came home, it just felt right. It felt right. Well, I remember fast forward into several years later of... For me, I used to, when I used to be in aviation, I used to have a long commute, and it was about 40 miles. And I remember as I would come home, that I would, I would be prepared, you know, I would have this commute, and I would be able to settle myself in before I actually walked in the door. But one thing that I really, really enjoyed whenever I got home is I opened the front door to our house. And at that time, the, the kids were, were younger. Actually, it was just Austin at that time, and then Gracie was a little bitty. But I remember... As soon as that door was open, there was a great big welcome for my son. It's embarrassing to him, which is, that's fine. But I love that. I love coming home because when I came home, as soon as I walked in that door, I felt welcome. That no matter what had happened throughout the course of the day, I knew that once I stepped through the doors of my house, then everything that happened previous happened previous. I didn't have to bring it in with me. When I came home, I was welcomed with those open arms. I was welcome. And I knew I was welcome. I felt welcome. You know, I think everybody realizes that we have, that, that at some points, we need a place of welcome. We realize that we're, we're kind of in a hole ourselves. That whether it's things that we've done to other people, things that we've done to ourselves, maybe it's, it's things that we've done to 
ourselves years ago, but yet it just lingers and goes on and on and on and on and on, and you can't shake the reality of the mistake that you made 10 years ago. That yet you're in a hole, maybe you're in a hole of your own making, and you, maybe you've hurt other people, and yet you sit there and you feel like you're in a hole, and you feel like you're alone, and there's nothing you can do about it. And maybe what you need is just a warm welcome back. That's really what today's about. That's really what the Easter story is about to me. It's a matter of, of knowing our condition that, that all of us, we're, we're in a hole, we're in a hole of our own making, and, and the hole really represents sin, and that something is wrong inside of us. Something is wrong, something is severed. We're, we're not happy with, with ourselves. We're not happy with ourselves sometimes. Anybody get upset at themselves? It's like we realize that Yes, you know, we, we may not all agree that we have fallen short of, of the glory of God, as Scripture says, but one thing that we can all agree on is we've all fallen short of our own standard. Maybe we don't recognize that as God's standard, but we realize that that, that, that whole represents a standard that we, even in our own life, have not lived up to, that something's wrong. And it's a whole that we're in. You know, I, it, 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 may seem, it may seem strange to you. And you say, you know what? Well, well, Pastor, why aren't you, you know, why isn't this all about the resurrection? We are going to talk about the resurrection. But to understand really the importance of resurrection and to really shine the light on Christ, we have to understand why Christ came. We have to understand why he came. He came to right the wrongs that humanity had at the time. And that humanity had not only at his time, but previous to that and in our time. And as long as there will be humans, we will all have a hole of which a a great amount of people will try and earn their way out of that hole. They will try and affiliate themselves with some religious group to get out of the hole. They will try and do everything that they could do to get out of the hole, to rid their life of sin and also the guilt that is associated with that sin. It plagues us all. It plagues us all. Well, where does that come from? You say, okay, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm tracking with you so far. You said, I may not believe that, that I've fallen short of, of God's standard for me, which we'll talk about that in a minute. But you may say, you know what, I know that I've fallen short of my standard. Where do you think that standard, the, the, the morality that comes with that, where do you think that comes from? Scripture says that we were made in the image of Almighty God. If we were made in the image of Almighty God, that's not saying we're little gods here on the earth, but there are attributes of God that we have. We feel mercy, we feel compassion, we feel a lot of the same things. We were made in the image of God. We all, everyone that walks the face of the earth, has some sense of morality, and that morality comes because we were made in the image of God. It isn't that we just woke up one day and said, you know what, you know, I just feel like it's wrong to steal from my neighbor. We have that feeling, but that feeling didn't come from us. It comes because we were made in the image of God. It's the same feeling that we sit here and say, you know what, I know that this is, this is my, my mother and father. I know that there's some reason why I need to, and I should, I'm, I'm very compelled to listen to them and honor them. Yes, is that scripture? Absolutely. But also, we all have a sense of that. We all have a sense of that. It's because we're made in the image of Almighty God and we all have that that sense of of morality. I'm not saying morality will save you. I'm just saying don't be surprised if people have morals and are far away from God because we're all made 
in the image of God. Does that make sense to you? Is that clear? It needs to be. You know, for us, it's like maybe you've made a mistake. Maybe you've, you, you've done something. I'll give you an example. Okay, say you're at school. School, when, I remember like grade school fights were like the, were the funniest thing. Because it was like, you have these grade school fights, and it's like, you know, all the kids are talking about it, and it's like the big deal today, right? So if you hear about, the, about this argument, this fight that goes on at 10 o'clock in the morning, there's like a huge buildup to whatever's going to happen after school when, it, when the fight goes down, right? Is this just my story, or have you guys... Okay, so we're all together. So it's the big buildup, and the story goes on, you know, and it's like... Before long, there are like two Goliaths out getting ready to fight in the playground. I mean, it's just this mass thing. What happens is usually the, 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 the altercation lasts less than five minutes, two, three minutes. But here's the thing. Whether if someone wins or loses, how do they both feel when they get done fighting? How do they feel? They feel guilty. Why do they feel guilty? Because they've, they have basically fallen short of their own standard. Have you all seen that in your life? It's like that's what happens. Why is it that, that a spouse, if a spouse is unfaithful to their, unfaithful, if they're unfaithful to each other, why is it that no matter what happens and that the water, you know, say, well, that's just water under the bridge. We need to get by it. Why is it that sometimes that sin lingers? I mean, you may say, you know what, I forgive you, but yet down deep within them, they still, feel, they still feel the resentment of the sin that they have committed and they feel the guilt associated with it. Where did that come from? It's kind of like many of us have kids. And this is, I was a little brother, so I'm the hero in this story. But if, if you have if you have kids or if you have other siblings that you grew up with and you get into maybe you say you get into a little altercation with them right I'm always rooting for the smaller one because I was a middle child and I feel resentment for that but I'll be okay eventually I was a middle child so my, my older brother used to pick on me on a regular basis and for me it was one of those things that I man I just wanted to get back with him but I remember the times that we would get into fights and we'd get into arguments and as soon as the argument was over it was the same way as if two, two strangers fought at the end of that you both sit here and scratch your head and say, you know what? Win or lose, we both lost. Why is that? Because that's the guilt associated with sin. Because regardless if you believe that you've fallen short of God's standard for you, you realize that you've fallen short of your own standard for you because it probably didn't have to come down to fist or feet. It could have been settled with words. I have a couple of scriptures that uh, we're actually going to be in John 20, but I want to share some scriptures with you previous to that. So if you want to, you can flip to Colossians 1, 19 and 20. It'll be on the screen if you'd like to follow along there. But we'll also be in John here in a moment. To really understand not only our own condition, but then also the reason why Jesus had to come to earth. I think we need maybe a couple scriptures in to help us to prepare our hearts to better understand what it is that he has done for us. 
So many times that, that the resurrection story just becomes something we talk about once a year and we put on our nice clothes once a year and we come together and we do all the other things, secular things that are associated with Easter and yet we don't understand our own condition in light of what Christ did for us. This scripture hopefully will help you with that. This is what Colossians 1, 19 and 20 says. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled what? What's that next word on the screen? Everything to himself. Scripture continues in verse 20. It says, He made peace with everything in heaven and and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. That means that to understand that, yes, Jesus, there is hostility here on earth. We are all in that hole that was depicted in the video earlier. We're in the hole. We were all, whether you've been saved by grace through faith or not, as Ephesians says, or if you're maybe, your, your story with Christ is still developing, maybe you don't, maybe you're just hard-hearted to God. And you say, you know what? I've seen Christians. I've seen church. I, I don't like it. I'm here. But for me, This is, I'm here out of obedience, not because I'm here for anything or to gain any knowledge. And I want you to understand that that he made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by way of the cross. The The reason why he had to make peace is because the situation that we as humans were in and that we are in, he made peace. It says, for God in all his fullness, I'll read it together. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He was bringing it back, right? We're all made in the image of God. And he says in this scripture, Paul writes, he says, because of Jesus, the reason there is something that's happened, you're separated from God. So now we have to understand that God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him, Christ, God reconciled basically not just us, but all creation, back unto Him by way of Christ, by way of the cross. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. And really what it all boils down to for today and understanding really the Easter story and how it invades your life is the fact that it's four simple words. He made peace possible. He made peace possible. That that's kind of what it all culminates to. That it's not just a, a time where we gather and do those things. It's like we, we realize that there's this hostility within us and it's only through Christ are we made whole. It's only through Christ that we can sit here and say, you know what? It's by work of the cross that He made peace possible. Possible for you, possible for me, possible for the folks who have been saved for 50 years, possible for the folks for the last 2,000 years. It's, it really has made peace possible for years previous to that, but then also just the continuing message of Jesus has to be off our lips and off our lives that he made peace possible. Living like a Christian really has little to do with, with just gathering as, as a church body on Sunday morning. That's part of it. But living like a Christian should invade your everyday life and understanding that we as people, we are hostile people. We know that we have fallen short of our own standard and it is only through the work of the cross that he makes Peace possible, and it's peace within our hearts. It's only through Christ. And though the happenings on the cross, they were violent, the end result 
for it's to be peace for you and for me. Now, you know, there's something I didn't really understand when I was younger and I used to have sporadic church experiences. I remember that when I would, I would go and, you know, there was, there was always two days of the year we absolutely went to church. I mean, it's got to be Easter and got to be Christmas. So I pretty much heard those stories. But I never had an understanding about the actual crucifixion. I used to think that the crucifixion, that actually as a child, of sitting here thinking that, wow, that's just a slow way for somebody to die because of the nails that were in the hands and because of the holes that were in the feet of Jesus. And I, I literally thought that he was just up there until he, like, starved to death. I had no idea. It wasn't until later on that I started to understand really how, how brutal that the crucifixion is, that he makes peace possible by way of the cross because the way that they chose to, to kill our Savior was on that rugged cross. And all through the process of, of Passion Week and getting up to the cross, and then as they nailed him to the cross and that they put the, the spikes through his hands and, the, and through his feet, one thing that, that I didn't understand but I do now... I, a little bit more. I don't think we'll really fully ever understand the cross until we actually see Jesus face to face. But understanding how gruesome the death was and realizing that, that, the, that, the, that the nails, the spikes, that isn't what killed him. It was much more brutal than that. As he was nailed to the cross and then the cross was erected, he basically would sit up on the cross and the only thing that kept him between life and death is he was laying his hands out on the cross and then as the body would sag, the more the body would sag, the harder it would be for him to breathe. He could breathe in, but he couldn't breathe out. So what would happen is, is he, the, the person on the cross would push off of the stump and as they would push off onto the stump, it, they would do that to try and fight for air and then they would be able to breathe out a little bit but the problem is a person can only do that for so long a person can only bear that much pain for so long a person only has so much pain that they could even endure and as, as Jesus is on the cross and he's taking our guilt and he's taking our shame and he's taking the punishment for the sins the sins of all mankind as understanding how gruesome that really was then maybe Maybe in, in the depths of us, maybe we can sit here and ask ourselves, is, is the sin in our life, does it, excuse me, does it bother us enough when we sin? Because to think about what, what he bore for us willingly for our sin and yet so many times, and we see it in the world we live in, maybe in some of our lives, we just continually sin over and over and over and over and over again. Scripture says that Jesus died once, once for all, just like the song we sung earlier. But so many times, kind of a mental image is, is to think every time I sin, and we sin, we have sins of commission, as James says, and then we have sins that, that we commit and do, and then there are sins that we, things of, that we don't do. But for us... Maybe we need to sit back and look at our own life and say, you know what? Maybe the way of the cross is, is to understand that maybe I need to rid some of those sins in my life. Maybe I need to invite God into all the dark places of my life to help Him eradicate those sins from me. It's only through the cross does He make peace possible. 
It's only through, through the violence of the cross that, that He brought peace to our hearts. As Jesus would, he would sit on the cross and, and as He would push Himself up and He would try and gasp for air, the, the process is basically His lungs would just be filling up and He couldn't breathe because He couldn't exhale. And then all of a sudden, as the body would fill up with fluid, He could not breathe any longer. So that's the reason why death by way of cross, the cross rather, is such excruciating and it's just, it's such a, a painful thing to even complicate, to, to contemplate. But so many times, people teach the scripture inaccurately. And, and not the things I just said, but they pretend as if the story stops there. There's certain religious groups, that's actually where they put all the concentration. That it's the cross, and they will depict Jesus on the cross. But let me tell you, he's not on the cross anymore. Right? Amen? Hallelujah? Is there someone happy about that today? That he's not on the cross? That we don't have to depict Jesus on the cross because He's not? That we can sit in celebration and say, you know what? All the while, while His arms were stretched out for all to see, that He was making peace possible within our lives. That He went to the cross, but He didn't stay on the cross. We'll find the rest of the story in John chapter 20. Make sure you hold the page in Colossians that we were at. We're going to go back there in a minute. What's interesting about this, before we just jump into the Gospel of John, is this was written approximately 40 years after the events of which we're going to read about right here. In John, in the Gospel of John, if you've read this, it's a very, very great book to study and read. He basically, when, when you read into the Gospel of John, he basically is just trying to promote the deity of Christ through and throughout, throughout the whole book. He starts... In John 1.1, 1, 1, John 1.1 1, 1 through 1.3, he's just talking about who Jesus is, and it's just a continual theme, which is what we see um, even in the words of this scripture. And he also wants to point out that it's not just the deity of Christ, but it's, it's only through Christ are our lives made complete. John 20, 1 through 9. On the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. Yet in verse 9, tells us they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. If we back up to the first verse, we'll kind of unpack this little bit by little bit. It says, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed 
from the entrance. So she, in essence, was the first one there. And she goes there and she sees that the stones rolled away. And I, and I could just imagine just the, the look in her face and the terror thinking the Savior that she so had given her life to, that the, the life that she had previous to meeting Jesus, and then that she was radically different after she met Christ, that she started to understand the peace and the hostility that she had within her. Then as she grew in Christ, then it started to make sense for her, the shock and horror as she goes back to the tomb. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved. Ironically enough, the other disciple that Jesus loved is John, who's also the author of this book. John is writing in a way not to draw attention to himself. He's just saying, I, I just want you to know the focus isn't on me, although I was there. I'm like a firsthand. You're not hearing this like the third guy down the line, and I heard this from my uncle, you know, my uncle Larry, who was at the, you know, at the factory, who heard over lunch break. He says, I was there. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. She's frantic. She goes to the two people who she knows she can trust, the inner circle of which Jesus had really just built and bore his ministry into. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but one was really slow. Doesn't say that, but that's what happened. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first, which means that John got there first. What the traditional thinking on this is, is that John was actually younger than Peter. That's the reason why Peter got there a little bit later. As a side note, I give you that for free. Verse 5 says, He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. I think this is interesting too. John, careful guy, right? Careful, if, you, if you've read the Gospel of John, you know that his writing is very articulate and careful. He, he, he gets to the tomb and he like peeks in and he checks it out and everything's fine, but yet he doesn't do what? He doesn't go in. He doesn't go in, not at first. Then in chapter 6, you know Simon Peter's going in, right? He gets there, he's going in. Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb, just probably frantic, he saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside to the other disciple and then he saw and they believed. You see, at this point, they didn't understand the complexity of everything that was happening. They still didn't, although Jesus talked about it. Read the Gospels, okay? This is not like a new story. Jesus had talked about this his whole ministry of saying, you know what, the Son of Man is going to, basically he's going to be buried, he's going to rise again on the third day. All these types of things happen. Even within the story of Jonah, and many scholars believe that the story of Jonah was just kind of a foreshadowing of what Jesus was going to do, as we see a lot of that type of stuff happening in the Old Testament. So this was, this shouldn't have been a, a new idea to these people, but it certainly was not something that they had grasped up to that point. What we see through this, in, in the understanding of this, is not just the first people that were there. It's that, that Jesus, when they looked in and they seen the empty tomb, and they seen the burial cloth separate from one another, it was as if Jesus, in bodily form, had just disappeared. And his, and his clothes, the burial clothes, and the linens and wrappings showed exactly that. That he had resurrected just as he said he would do. Just as he said he would do. 
And as he resurrected, I think this is, this, interestingly enough, this is one of the things that separates a lot of world religions because so many times people in different other world religions, they have their, their hero of their religion that died, but the, the bad news is those people are still on the ground. They may be able to go to a shrine of Muhammad and they can go there and they can look and guess what's in that shrine? And every other of the heroes of other world religions, things that are not Christ-based, they can go back to their heroes' graves and they're in there. Which proves to me, and it should prove to you, that when Christ made peace possible, He also proved that He was God. Just like He said He was. Now look at this. I, I, I was kind of encouraged. We went to a Good Friday service uh, in Atlanta, and I was so reminded of this. It's just the fact that, that Christ wins over death. That's a song we sung about earlier. He, he won over death. He beat death. And the amazing thing that it should invade your life, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the thing that should invade every bit of your life is knowing that because He won over death, you can too. But if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you're basically in that hole that was depicted in the video. You have no way to get out. You can try and be as creative as you want. You can give as much money as you want. You can't serve your way out of the pit. You can't do any of those things. There's only one way to get out. And that's through the work of the cross of Jesus. And that's by putting your faith, your hope, and your trust only in Him. He beat death. And we can too. As Jesus resurrected on the third day, I love this, and we're not going to track all the way through this, but, but it's so interesting to me, is the people that he appeared to. He appeared to the other disciples, he appeared to Thomas, and he kept going through. But then also we know that he actually appeared in later days to a group of 500 people. I've heard this said recently as well. This to me is just so, so fascinating because if I were to tell any of you a story today and ask you to repeat it again in a week, A, half of you would forget. Not my messages, though. You guys have those down, right? Half of you would forget. And probably the other half of you would get the story wrong. Wouldn't you? But the purity of the message of Jesus is amazing to me because all these people seen Jesus and experienced the same thing. And do you know why they, that they experienced the same thing? Why we know that they experienced the same thing? Because the story is true. Because the story is true. Because the story, the thing that was unfolding before their eyes, there was no way that you could see a man visibly resurrected and, you know, and, then, and then not be changed by it. And there's no way that that message, that God come to earth, that that message is going to be tainted through the days. Because when, when the New Testament was penned and the people who gave witness to seeing the resurrected body of Jesus, every one of them were changed by what they saw. They were changed. Every one of us has a story. 
Every one of us has a story of the time before we, we received Christ, or maybe that is your story, and you've never received Christ. But then everybody has a story of the time before they received Christ, they were in that hole, and now in light of the cross, the burial, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, now we have our story. And you know what? Every one of those stories is unique. Do you know what the story of Jesus, you know what makes it so unique? It's the same story. It's the same story. I do believe that the Holy Spirit inspired every word of Scripture. And I believe that as, as Scripture has inspired, that the Holy Spirit has, has put it into, into men's hearts and women's hearts to sh- basically share, to make sure. There are a lot of things in Scripture that, that it doesn't necessarily conflict with one another, but it's just not as black and white as maybe as we'd like it to be. But I can tell you one thing. If you look in Scripture, the resurrection, done deal. No question that the resurrection of Jesus is, there's, you can debate it all you want, but there's no way that we can have all of these witnesses, not just people who are witnesses of, of seeing Jesus prior to death, in death, and then after the resurrection, but then also we have other secular writings confirming the same thing. To me, that's powerful. And it helps me to rationalize and, and understand and to believe by faith that the story is true. What's your story? What's your, what's your resurrection story? Who were you before Christ? And who are you now? Who is it that you know that's in the hole? Who is it that, that you, that God would want you to say, you know what, I know that I, and we, we kind of counsel each other and we help each other on this. So many times we think that we can go to the hole and pull them out. But that's just as much of a futile effort as them trying to get themselves out of that hole. The hole that sin has created in our lives. What we need to do as followers of Christ is to say, you know what, I know you're in the hole, but the best thing I can do is I can share Christ with you in the hole because it's only through the cross work and the resurrection power of Jesus Christ that you can get out of that hole and then you can have your own resurrection story. Who is it that you need to tell that story to? Who is it that you need to let your life live unto to share that story? Every single one of us has somebody. Every single one of us. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you've been. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. Every single one of us has a person or people that God wants us to impact for the gospel. It's good news. The reason why it's good news is because it's true. And because it's true, it should invade your life and it should be funneled through your life to other people. A resurrection makes things new. It makes, takes death and brings life. It takes incomplete and makes it complete. I love this scripture. If you have your Bibles still open to Colossians 1.21. This I would like to, to share with you. This is on the screen if you, if you don't have your Bible this morning. It says, This includes you who were once far away from God. You were His enemies, separated from Him by your evil thoughts and actions. You were in a hole. Scripture continues. 
Yet now, He has reconciled you to Himself through what? Tell me, church. Tell me. Through the death of Christ in His physical body. And as a result, He has brought you into His own presence that you are holy and blameless as you stand before Him. I love this part. Without a single fault. That's powerful. Without a single fault. Spotless. But it's only through Christ. See, it's, it's only when and only if if you have received Jesus Christ, can you be made whole. That's it. That's it. it it's, not, it's not the work that you do. It's not how much you give. It's not who you're affiliated with. It's, it's not that I watch you know, Christian TV and all of these things. It, those are great in and of themselves, but they will do nothing for you as far as being in a right relationship with Jesus. That comes down to making a personal decision you making a decision within yourself, personal to you, not for your kids, not for your husband, not for your uncles, not for your grandma and grandpa, but making that decision and saying, I want you to be Lord and Savior of my life. I know that my life is broken because the sins that I have committed and the, the things that I've done and the things that I have not done. I know that somehow, some way, that yes, I have fallen short of my own standard. And maybe if, even if it's today that we realize that it's not just our own standard, that that standard that has been embedded within us was given by Almighty God because we are bearers of His image. He made peace possible. The cross and the empty tomb proved to all mankind that Jesus is the answer to your problem. The problem being sin. I have, this is, there's great news with this too. Because once you have, have really accepted Jesus, you see, I, getting back to this scripture, Let me unpack this just for a minute. It says, As a result, He has brought you into His own presence. You are holy and blameless as you stand before Him without a single fault. Another translation says, without a single accusation. It's not just a matter of being fault. You can't even be accused for the things that you've done because they've been washed clean because of the work of Christ. I love that. You you can stand spot-free before God because of what Jesus washed away when He made peace possible in our life. What are you going to do with that? I want to challenge you, as you, this, this Easter just isn't the, the story and say, you know, we, we're coming together and maybe we have family get-togethers because of Easter, which all of that's great, um, wonderful things. But maybe the challenge that needs to be put upon you is say, you know what, I want to live the resurrection story, my resurrection story, in all the days to come. In all the days to come. One thing that's common to every Christian, every Christian goes through this. They're in the hole. Every Christian has been in a hole.